the metrics of success are not all academic. Like metrics of success have to be completely individual and how, how we see growth, right? Like when kids struggle in the classroom or that's just a different learning style. Like mm -hmm. we have to address every kid's strengths and weaknesses and figure out how these tools are going to work for those kids. This is Josh. And this is Nicole. And you're listening to the Oregon Transition Podcast. Brought to you by the TTAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network and professionals across the state. We've got you covered from Portland to Ontario, from Hood River to Klamath Falls, from Seaside to Burns, and everywhere in between. Hi, Josh. Hi, Nicole. We are back for yet another episode. Season 3, Episode 2 of the Oregon Transition Podcast. My goal is to record a great episode. I will share that goal with you. And to make that goal even more possible, we have with us the amazing and astounding Margie Blackmore. Hi, thanks for having me on the show today. My name is Margie Blackmore and I am the Transition Network Facilitator for Central Oregon, which includes Wheeler, Lake, Crook, Jefferson, and Deschutes County. You know, there's no better way to start out this podcast on goals than hearing from students about their goals. Margie, you were able to visit students at Sisters. What did they have to say? Josh, I, I sat down with some students from the Sisters Transition Program, and they shared what they want their life to look like after the transition program. I'm doing the military. Okay. What is it about the military? What be in the military? Maybe a scout or something like that. Recon. And when when are you planning on doing that? Uh, maybe like 18. I don't know. Just something well, to do after school. Okay. So you yeah. got you got some goals. Yeah. What about you? I'm going to be a mechanic. A mechanic? Yeah. He also wants to be a rock star, so we're pursuing the mechanic first. Okay, and then you know if that doesn't then work the rock out. Star. Then the rock star second. Do you play any instruments, or do you sing? Play sings in the shower. <laughs> you play the guitar. Yeah, a little bit of piano. It's really cool how you know the student says first he wants to be a mechanic, and you know a rock star and sitting down with students and really understand what it is about being a rock star that appeals to you. And, you know, for some, it could be on the road, being in front of people and, or it could be just playing music with people. And how do you create that in your life? How do you put those things in, in your life? Let's acknowledge the students you interviewed are currently working in paid jobs. They're working at Amazon, which is a great first step towards a long-term employment. While working, they still have their sights on long-term goals, like joining the military, being a mechanic, and becoming a rock star. Margie, I love what you said about asking the students about what is it about being a rock star that sounds good to you. We also want to think of these goals as more than vocational goals. The goals can be independent living goals as well. Yeah, because it's, you know, really about the whole student and what they want their life to look like in all aspects, employment, independent living, education, social, 
we have goals in all those different areas. So Nicole, you used to be a job developer. Let's take this rock star. How does the goal of being a rock star, how can that fit into other areas of job development? Great question, Josh. I, I feel like this is a pretty common question. I'm working with a student and they have this goal and to me it seems unattainable. And how do we support them in not crushing those dreams, but really building up their opportunities using their dream as a foundation? And Josh, there are actually quite a few tools that can support a teacher or an educational assistant or a transition service provider in, in supporting that exact element. And today we're going to explore some of those. The first person that we're going to speak to about that is Wendy Beal. I am Wendy Beal and I am a speech language pathologist, but I work as an autism and traumatic brain injury consultant with the High Desert ESD. This is a resource called a student map, and this is a resource that is coming out of the transition toolkit for students with traumatic brain injury. When creating the student map, there's four different sections to this map, and the first one the first section is what am I doing right now? So diving into what's working and, and not working, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And then the second section is who am I? What are my strengths? And kind of diving into that. And then the third section is where you kind of come up with the goal or the dream. And there could be one or there might be a few there. And then the last section is what are the behaviors that I need to change or the steps that I need to take in order to reach this goal that I've created? Margie and Nicole, this sounds like backwards chaining where you start with the goal and you work backwards on steps to achieve that goal. Am I hearing that right? You got it, Josh. Beginning with the end in mind. I think that is a great method. And what I found when I've taken steps with students is that it really increases motivation and it really helps students understand why we're setting these short-term goals. They can see that their progress on their short-term goal helps get to their long-term goal. Wendy mentioned that this tool was designed specifically to work with students that experience TBI, which is traumatic brain injury. However, we soon found out that this tool can really be used with anyone. Um, well, I definitely use it with students with traumatic brain injury and also students with autism. I mean, you can use it when you're just meeting a student and trying to get a sense of who they are and where you want to go and how you want to spend your time with them, supporting them on the goals that are important to them. And then I've also used it with students that I have a longstanding relationship with where we just need to get more focused on um, where we're headed, you know, and sometimes I like to use this tool. I, I sometimes work with students that seem to have very lofty goals for themselves. And, you know, as an adult in their life and as a teacher, some of these goals seem unrealistic to me, but I'm not going to be dream killer. I, I want to dig into what, what about that goal? What about that vocational dream? Is it that is appealing to you? What is what like dig into that a little bit more? And this tool can help really to, to kind of get to the root of the vocational dream. If they if the dream seems really out there, um, which we all have those dreams, and those are okay. And we want to, we need to make steps towards that. So what up? What about that goal? You know, what's the root of that? And, and then we can take steps towards that big dream. 
Josh, Margie, I, I'm just going to ask the, the real question. Did any, either of you ever have a dream that was crushed? I know it sounds a little ridiculous, but it happens to so many of us, is that we have this lofty ambition when we're young, and then someone comes by and says, there's no way that that's ever going to happen for you. Has that happened to you? And, and how did you deal with that? When I was a kid, I played football. I was pretty convinced I was going to play in the NFL someday. There were many people around me that told me that wasn't going to happen. I think that being a professional athlete was something that didn't happen for me. However, the love of sports and having sports be a part of my life, my entire life, is something that did happen. And I'm okay with not being a professional athlete. I still played sports all throughout elementary, middle, and high school. I played on post-collegiate club teams. I still am very much involved in sports now with my kids. It's a, it's a big part of my life. And actually, it did become part of a source of income for me because I have coached and I have refereed. You really just spoke to this tool well, because not only is this tool a really fluid conversation, but it also can be a visual with students. And it helps them talk through that dream that may to others seem unreachable. Um, and it may seem that way to them as well, but they are coming to that decision themselves and realizing potentially the barriers, or, or that that dream is different for them than what they actually initially thought of. And I think in this next segment, Wendy's going to talk about that experience with a student that had a lofty goal, but really got to the root of that and the seed of that dream. You know, for example, I had a student that I work with who really wanted to play on the University of Oregon Ducks basketball team. And he didn't play basketball. He didn't practice. He didn't you know, he wasn't on the school team. And, and he also had this dream of being on the Ducks basketball team. So we had to kind of dig into that a little bit and figure out what about that dream? What, what do you, what about that is appealing? You know, he wanted to be with the team. He wanted to wear the jersey. So it wasn't even necessarily about playing basketball, but it was about being with the team and being in the wearing the jersey and being a part of this group. So we thought, you know, we're thinking through what are other things a student can do to be a part of the team that aren't necessarily being, you know, a player on the team. So we kind of dug into that a little bit. So I love the idea of when she says she's not being a dream crusher. And what it sounds like to me, she's taking that idea and she's helping the student broaden it. So your dream could be fulfilled if you're not on the Oregon Ducks basketball team, but maybe taking those elements and finding another way to fill them. Being a part of a team is important. Being on a team is important. Wearing a uniform is important. What other opportunities for that are there outside the Oregon Ducks basketball team that would be fulfilling for that student? It's very similar to my story, right? Because I didn't play in the NFL. I found that coaching and refereeing gave me that fulfillment and I am very happy. 
that's what I really love about this tool is that you can take any big dream and really break it down. Right now when I talk to students, it's very much, I wanna be a YouTube star or I wanna design video games or I wanna be an actor or an artist. And those are all fantastic dreams to have. But let's look at it with this tool, figure out the basis of it and figure out how we can build towards that or what other goals have relationships to each other within those dreams that are maybe more achievable now in the moment. Keep in mind, you don't know the future and you don't know what's going to happen. Another way to like think about using this tool is it creates a conversation of informing that student's team, IEP team or ISP team or whatever team and them learning from that individual. Because sometimes we take things that students, as we're talking about youth, are good at, and we think that is their, that should be their dream. And an example, I had a student who was an amazing piano player, self-taught, and we're like, this is an amazing gift and strength. And so we were finding job opportunities or work experiences where he could play the piano, and it didn't go very well because he only really liked to play one kind of music and it wasn't his, his goal, even though he has this amazing strength, that wasn't his, his goal. And um, it was a big learning opportunity. So again, it just creates opportunity for people who are working with students to have a conversation and help them plan for their future and not plan their future. again the power of the student voice and it's still important even in this time or maybe especially in this time to make sure that that voice is still being heard so we asked wendy if this tool could be used virtually i do think you could do it virtually i think what you could do is just be the recorder and be asking questions and then if there's a way to kind of share as you're working you know what you've come up with I mean, ideally you're in person because they're watching you record it and you're sitting next to them and then they have that sheet ready to go. But virtually you can send them a picture of what you've created. You can, you know, send it to family members and teachers. So I think it, it would be easier to get, push it out to other people in the student's life who could support them working towards those goals. So I want to thank Wendy Beal for taking time out of to join us on our podcast. This sounds great. Margie, do you know where we can get more information if we want to try this tool? Yes, this tool and there are many other tools found at the Center on Brain Injury Research and Training or CBERT. And it's the transition toolkit for students with traumatic brain injuries. But as Wendy spoke to, it's really tools for all students. Margie, are those on a website or how else would people get access to those? That's a great question. Nicole, it is on their website. However, I know um, that website's been under construction. So if you are looking for this tool right away, feel free to email me or your uh, TNF and we'll be happy to get that handbook to you. Before we move on to our next segment, I know Wendy had one more thought about this process. 
When you're doing the student map, I think it's really important to ask open-ended questions. Asking good questions to really get to the root. You know, we can manipulate questions and feed students answers and to really try to back off of that and ask open-ended questions so that we can really hear their voice in what's going on for them. I think that's pretty important. So we just took time to learn about maps. And now we're going to switch our attention to paths. And these are both really unique goal setting tools that are visual and interactive while also being person centered. My name is Sue Hayes and I work with, with the High Desert Education Service District and my current position is as an administrator and I get the opportunity to work with Margie here in transition and then uh, a vision program and a brain injury program and I love to support um, the map and path effort we have going in our school district. Yeah, we're going to talk about the path process and the path process is, was um, uh, I was training the path process, oh my gosh, years ago, 20-some years ago with um, Jack Fairpoint and Marsha Forrest. And um, they work out of Inclusion Press. So if you need information about the path process, you can go to Inclusion Press. Anyway, the path pr uh, process is uh, magical, I guess I'll say. Uh, it's very heartfelt. It's uh, maybe even feels a little spiritual when you're when you're doing it, um, because it's very different than a black and white meeting of an organization or a school. It's colorful. There's a big piece of butcher paper across a 10 foot wall, people sitting in like a semicircle, and the person of importance, the explorer, they sometimes call them or they call them the focus person, or sometimes I just call them the star of the show, are sitting there and the key thing you start with in a path process is dreaming. It's almost fantasy-like. Like, what do you, what what do you, what do you what makes you get up in the morning? Um, what what would be a good life be for you? And then it takes you through a process of planning. So it's not a such a woo-woo tool that you don't get down to the nitty-gritty, but yet it's a very um, human connecting opportunity, uh, and it's all about dreaming. But the cool thing about the path process is even though it seems like it's really touchy-feely at first, it really gets to the heart of the matter and provides you with a really great structure. When you do a, a map or a path, we're talking about paths right now, um, you have a facilitator and a recorder. So why the facilitator is doing um, all the listening they need to do and raising questions to help the, the focus person or the explorer really think about what could happen in their life. The recorder is recording with all kinds of colored markers. When it's done, you have this beautiful path, literally, on the wall that's just full of color. That explorer, the person who, who, uh, whose life it's about, gets to take it home and enjoy it. We also make small copies so we can have them for meetings and things like that because it's really impactful in making plans and IEPs. During my first week as a TNF, I participated in a PATH meeting. Two other Transition Network facilitators facilitated the meeting. One led the meeting and the other one was a graphic recorder and took colorful notes with a lot of pictures. They were completing a path for a program that wanted to make some changes. 
If I remember correctly, the path was attended by three teachers, a YTP specialist, and an administrator. They wanted to complete the path process because they were interested in making a three-year plan. I had never participated in a meeting like that before and I was completely blown away. And it was at that moment I said, wow, if this is what a TNF gets to do, I am going to love being a TNF. Goal setting ends up happening um, in the process, but I love how a path process starts because it starts with dreaming. And um, there is uh, unlimited space and unlimited ideas that the student or the person whose life we're talking about that they can explore. And sometimes it won't feel like it's realistic. And that's okay. And so it's a little different than goal setting in that respect, because goal setting tends to be a little more black and white. This is what you want to do. What are the steps you're going to do to get there? And this is more this process of sitting back and being in a place where this person can actually sense and feel what their life could be like. What color could it be? What do you want to be smelling in your life? Who do you want to be spending time with? And it's so it's a lot about, it starts out a lot about still creating inclusive communities and human connection. And goal setting does come through the process. So Margie, let me make sure I understand this right. So with a path, you're starting with the dream and the person's values and what's important to them. And then what comes next? Yeah, you're right, Josh. I think um, Sue did a great job of uh, really honing into the path process does focus on that dream and then works back to that goal setting piece. So this is, this is where it, it doesn't just become this like oh, feel good dream process because you do end up touching bases on what the person's life is like now. So you can get a sense of where, how far they have to go. You know, what is the tension between what's going on now? Not tension in a negative aspect, but just tension in terms of propelling, right, um, to, that, to that dream. And you get a chance to enroll people um, and you get a chance to create how you're going to stay strong and do this plan and what, what, what it's going to take. And, and you work on big, bold steps, you know, what are the big things you really want to get to? And then you end up with an action plan. So you kind of, you're working backwards. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And um, so it's, it, it, you do end up with a real clear action plan. And the key is to have people there that are beyond what they normally have. They get, they, you want the person to invite people they care about and you want people to come who care and can act. And, and sometimes it, and so the, the key with a, a path is that it may not just be school personnel or it may not just be the organization they're linked with that are being paid to work with them. Um, it's the people they care about, their neighbor or their aunt that lives far away or, you know. Uh, so the group of people you pull together takes away the limits of a school, right? Because schools are limited, right? Actually... Nicole and I have both been trained as path facilitators by you, Margie. You trained us. Woohoo! Super fun to all be in the experience together. And so part of that training, we facilitated paths for each other, which was really eye-opening. And Nicole, 
You just told us that you pulled out your path and looked at it. I, I did. And I have the large version of the path, not the small one. So I have a 10-foot roll of butcher paper rolled up in the back of my closet that has moved with me from Bend to Eugene. And I'm sure it will move with me the next time I was able to take out this map, put it up on my wall, and really look at those goals that I made three years ago. And... And I don't really know how to explain it because our paths were different in that we didn't have a whole team of people to to keep the momentum going around these goals, but I was still able to achieve the majority of them, even some of my North Star goals. So, I mean, it could be subconscious thinking, it could just be the action of writing them down, but I like to think of it like Sue said it, in that it's just a really magical process that makes things happen. And I looked at mine recently, too. I think you're right. I think putting it on paper helped me identify and confirm what I really wanted in for my professional life, for my home life. It really helped me focus on reaching those three-year plans. And it's funny because the values are all really important. The three-year plan came pretty close not completely exactly but if we talk about how we broaden our experience and broaden our view i would say i I met my goals too i just haven't been to costa rica yet i went to hawaii instead (laughs) you know it's a it's a powerful process and our lives like everyone's is very busy and it's not often that we get the opportunity to sit down and really sink into two hours of our life and, and think about all of those dreams and what's positive and possible, what's going on now, who are the people in our lives that can help us and making an action plan to get there. It doesn't happen all the time. So it's definitely an opportunity that uh, students and teams can really come to together. And as Sue stated, you know, schools can be limited. And this is a process to dig a little deeper. And not only just for individuals, but it also could be part of a, of a group plan. So if a team or a group of people that are wanting a path process for a certain goal, if there is a individual after listening to this podcast who is thinking, wow, you know, I have a student that could really benefit from this process. I would suggest to them to reach out to their transition network facilitator and find someone there in their area that could create this opportunity for that individual or group. It was really great to hear Sue talk about the PATH process. She outlined it really well, and this is a tool that has been used multiple times for both individuals and groups or programs across the state. Margie, recently you were able to connect with someone that you provided a path for uh, a number of years ago, and you were able to check in and see where that path has taken them over these last few years. I'm a teacher in Sisters. I do the Life Skills and Transition Program here in Sisters at the high school in the Transition Center, and I've been here um, almost a decade now, so 10 years. Disclaimer, um, Margie did do the path with us. Like she was the coordinator for the path. 
<laughs> so um, that was about five or six years ago that we yeah. did the path. And um, when you asked me to think, to think about the path, um, I started to think about it and I think, and so, so many times is um, with my reaction to paths, it's like, I don't want to do a path. Like, this is the last thing I want to do. I don't want to do a path. And then every time I do a path, it turns out to be really, really a good tool and helpful to do the path. So, and I think that's happened with the transition center too. Um, thinking back to where we were at, I believe we were just starting our transition program and we were actually in the Belfry, which is a music bar, old church in Sisters. And on Mondays, we'd go down to the basement of the Belfry and I'd have to get up there, get there early to pick up remnants of an experience the band or people had through the weekend. So I would get rid of all that before the students would get to the transition center. So, and then thinking about that, from that point to now sitting outside a transition center with epic amount of space with a building totally dedicated to transition, um, relating that back to the path is like, wow, we actually did it. Like we actually followed through with those path, with the path, with those steps, and it came to fruition. And that guidance from the path actually helped with that process. And thinking back on the path, we, we focus so much on student employment and developing student employment in the community. That's really the focus that, that we had through the path and the philosophy of when kids work and get a paycheck, they feel good about themselves. And just that simple message of kids feel good when they work. And we've trickled that down to, you know, 15, 16 year olds who are sophomores in high school that, you know what, you're going to feel better when you work. Let's, let's get you a job and we'll figure out the school thing. But when you work, you feel good. And I think the path really kind of articulated that back then and then developing the really continuing to focus and developing relationships with the community and employers was a real, real strong indicator too. That's awesome. So when, when you do a path, you start with the dream. So it, as you're reflecting, it sounds like you really hit pieces of, of what you dreamt about for the transition program. And some of that, like you said, has come to fruition um, yeah. in regards to employment and a space. Yeah, I think for me, it's really hard for me to think long term. And the path really did help articulate like, oh, I might be here in five years. Like, what's that going to look like? I might be here in 10 years. I always appreciate hearing firsthand experience on how a path meeting works and how it transforms a class or a program. So, Margie, you facilitated that path with sisters. They started with the dream. Where were they and what was their dream? Yeah, so I'm actually <clears throat> taking a look at the path right now. I think first and foremost is reflecting back on this is we really had a, a great team of people that attended the path. 
We had representatives from Voc Rehab, from DD Services, from the school district. We had uh, specialists that provide services for students in the transition program. We had some community members as well as some of the resource room teachers from the high school attend. So that was really powerful to have the right people help Josh and the district really envision what this program would look like. It was a good meeting. Um, I mean, and some people in the meeting were like, had no idea we were even doing the work. And then other people were very, very involved and supportive, which was good. We had a good mix. And I think, I, I mean, the major goal was to find a structure, you know, and find a place. So during the path and during the building of the transition center, transition program, we realized that transition kids did not want to come back on the campus. Like that was like once they graduated, they didn't want to come back and meet with us. They wanted to be in transition, but they didn't want to be on the high school campus. So that was a big issue um, because we didn't have really have a place. So the Belfry really filled that void and they were really supportive of, of that. And the kids liked going there. It was kind of cool. Um, the Belfry's in the middle of town and people had access to it. And, you know, we'd meet there two hours a day and, um, so it sounds like yeah. the kids were really showing up. Um, yeah, they would show the ones, up. Yeah, the um, ones that weren't walking through back through the doors ended up showing up right. at that program. Right. Yeah. Right, and that was a that was a huge dawning for us. It sounds like the path made a significant change of where the program was located and how students were accessing the program. After graduating from school, I'm hearing they didn't like going back to the high school and they needed to find another location. So Margie, can you just take us through that process? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> historically they had been in the high school. Um, Josh also is the life skills teacher at the high school. So he was really supporting two programs, his the life skill ninth through 12th graders, as well as the transition program, the 18 to 21 year old program. And so after the path, there was a lot of planning and the program, not we, sorry, started meeting at the Belfry. Then they did that for about a year. And Josh realized that he was doing a lot of driving back and forth between programs. Um, and as much as he liked the program in the community, as well as the students, it wasn't sustainable for him to be in both places at the same time. So there is a building across the street from the high school that is next to the stadium, which Josh will speak to. And, uh, that's where the program is now. And with a lot of support from the district, they created a transition program. I'm excited. I, I think the kitchen actually worked out pretty well. Um, that was the thing that I was really, really advocating for is um, kitchen and laundry because um, we're a service town, obviously, in Sisters. And we have a really good relationship with the athletic club, too. And part of their that the um, athletic club vocationally is, you know, they're always going pre-COVID, they're always going through towels and cleaning. And how do we incorporate those tasks here with with there? 
you know, they've, they've always kind of been a first job for a lot of our kids. So how do we blend the vocational skills that they need at the club and how do we develop those here? So we kind of created a whole classroom to focus on vocational tasks that kids can directly relate to the employer. And on the other side, we have um, the classroom with the kid with a more academic space and um, the kitchen. So, Margie, you supported Josh and his team in Sisters with this initial creation of a path. And in their path, they decided that they wanted to go towards building this transition program. And now you're able to look back at it a few years later, and it's been accomplished and even gone to the next step of having this brand new facility. As a facilitator, how does that make you feel to see this team going down their path in such a positive direction? Yeah, that has been an awesome reflection, Nicole. It was really, I feel so lucky to be, to have been a part of that path, as well as being part of the planning cohort. And yeah, to now see it where it is today is, is pretty amazing. Um, and it definitely is a success story that I got to be a part of. And one thing that I really appreciated about hearing your interview with with Josh was that this goal setting and and these ideas of transition and how to support youth on their own path really for sisters starts at an earlier age. I mean when we started it, it would even trickle down to the elementary school with kids um, to meet their needs. We're a small district so it works pretty well to communicate with teachers and figure out what kids need. And again, this is a philosophical kind of, we feel if we start transition in 18 or um, have two separate, like this is transition, this is life skills, this is special ed, like we're, we're too late on the ball. We're not developing positive habits for 18 to 21 year olds if we haven't started that as they come into high school specifically. So for us, um, and for me, um, in my job, it's just a continuum, right? So there's no moment where I'm doing transition and then another moment where I'm doing life skills. We've incorporated all that together all the time. Just to fully disclose, Josh Nordell is a beacon of light. He is an optimist. He is all about what's best for kids and the transition program, I really think has provided him the foundation and, and uh, in doing more great things. He has started a uh, parent group that meets regularly, not just with parents, with students of transition, but also parents that have students in elementary school, as well as providing game nights for students once a month. So he keeps on. He's like the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. He does. He just keeps on going and keeps adding just these amazing golden nuggets to, to this program. You know, I really liked when he was talking about infusing transition with the younger students. He's not just teaching a life skills class. He's infusing transition 
in those lessons. And I think that can happen for every student. Transition is not a location, it's a service. And we can infuse transition into any class we teach and prepare students for life beyond schools. And that, of course, includes having students set goals. And goals is exactly what this episode is all about. We've talked about maps with Wendy Beal, and we've talked about paths with Sue Hayes, but the TTAN has a plethora of tools that are really goal-focused and student-oriented to support educators with hearing that student voice and creating goals that are in line with that student voice. Whether it's an IEP, whether it's a one-page profile, whether it's lessons or workshops around goals or self-advocacy or really just discovering those nuances of these larger dreams, the TTAN has a tool that can support you. If you want more information about them, please reach out to us at the Oregon Transition Podcast or reach out to your local Transition Network facilitator for more information. But before we go, we do want to share with you a clip from our upcoming episode, which is going to be around another tool called a person-centered plan. I'm Chris Rita. And I'm Tony DePeel. And we are doing person-centered planning facilitator trainings. Person-centered plans are a meeting of sorts that a student and their team, their support team, comes together to discuss a lot of positive aspects about that student and start planning forward. Start looking at their strengths, gifts, and capacities and where they're headed. The team might look like a multiple of different people that know the student. It's a two-day training and we do a lot of activities where the participants are up and moving about doing their own person-centered plans for themselves, for each other, and lots of hands-on activities so that you can really be engaged and learn how to do person-centered plans. It was an amazing training. It was a, a great experience. Um, I'm really, I'm a transitions coordinator and I'm really looking forward to doing my first person-centered plan. I'm a transition specialist and I totally enjoyed the training. The presenters are wonderful. You will learn a lot from both of them. How much does it cost? free. There's no charge to educators. So if you are an educator or um, a community partner and you're interested in learning how to become a facilitator, we would welcome you to get a hold of us and uh, let us know that you're interested. The best way to do that is to contact the Transition Network Facilitator or the Pre-Employment Transition Services Coordinator in your region. Well, I think your goal was successfully completed this episode, Josh. Yeah, I wanted to make a good podcast, and I think, thanks to you and Margie, we did it. Margie Blackmore, the shining star of Central Oregon, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast episode. Oh, I feel so fortunate to be a part of this process, to get to be behind the scenes and being down with you guys in OTP. Yeah, you know me. We are naughty by nature. (laughs) Well, on that note, Margie, since you are now an official part of the Oregon Transition Podcast, we are going to let you do our signature sign-off. Peace out, pod people. And be well. 
The Oregon Transition Podcast is brought to you by the TTAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network, with support from Vocational Rehabilitation and Oregon Department of Education. All views and opinions expressed on this podcast belong to the individuals, not necessarily their supporting agencies. The Oregon Transition Podcast is produced by Nicole Perdue, Josh Barber, Tony DePeel, and the podfather himself, Lon Thornburg. With additional interviews provided by members of the TTAN. Our theme music is composed by former transition student Boone Richter out of Brownsville, Oregon. Additional music provided by Lon Thornburg. For questions, comments, or episode ideas, please email us at OregonTransitionPodcast at gmail.com. And for all the latest OTP news, connect with us on Facebook. Finding it, every kid's different and just be okay with that. Like, there's no... It's never going to work out how we plan. It never does. So just keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. It's not pretty. It's never pretty.